yeah, but 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 you were saying about like your third show, you got like laughs already. Yeah, well, so it was like an open mic, and it it may have been like anywhere between the third or fifth time I had did an open mic, and it there wasn't a lot of people there, and I got the microphone and I just went in. It was like twelve people there six people in a row, I just went one by one and said some funny shit about them. And everybody was dying. And it was just so different from what I was... Previously, I just had seen... You know, I've always loved comedy, been a fan of it, never knew how to write it, was never really a writer. But I was just writing, mm-hmm. thinking that that's how, you know, I could just go up there and say stuff and that that would work. And it didn't. And on that day, it was like I just... I got the mic and it just clicked. And um, yeah, the rest after that particular time on stage, it just resonated so much, so well with me to just be myself and off the cuff and like anything, like, cause I'm naturally funny. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. Yeah. Well, well, that's talented. So you don't even write, you just get the microphone and go. Well, no. So in the beginning, that was the norm or the practice that I was, you know, when I finally got into to doing it. I, it was my rawness that kind of stood out. But the more I learned comedy and the fact that I want to have a longevity, there's so much power in writing, if not even for stand up for shows, for other opportunities. So I am more interested now more than I've ever been in in writing. Um, so I have a happy balance. I have the ability to, to be naturally funny and off the cuff, but to be strategically funny um, is going to be what pays me in the end, I believe. Yeah. Now, what inspires you as a comedian? Where do you get your inspiration from? When you say that, do you mean like inspiration for jokes or just inspiration to keep going? Inspiration for jokes. So a lot of my inspiration, what I've realized is um, I've been trying to figure out my voice for the four years I've been doing it. But what I realized is that I speak for me. I speak for women, for single women and single women with no kids. And just women in general, like I think that that overall, I women resonate with me. They want to come up to me after the show and be like, "Bitch, okay, yes, girl, yes, you had me dying." Like, um, so I realize that I'm here for women. I'm here for that that piece of presence that we don't typically see on stage. Um, so a lot of my jokes come from real life scenarios or situations, or maybe even now I'm kind of trying to. Uh, cater to my thoughts and, and trying to learn how to kind of finesse those things into joke format. Nice, nice. Now, I know you said, you know, you got bit by the bug, you know, a little late, but where were you the exact moment in time where you were like, you know what, I want to tell jokes for the rest of my life? Honestly, I feel like I'm still bug I think that the bug is finally like settled in and made me realize like this is real life I don't think that uh I've been doing it for four years um there's a lot of first times you know I remember the first time I threw my own show I remember Mm -hmm. the first time I I had 400 people I remember the first time I performed on stage like outside when I um and this just recently happened on a on a drive through comedy show where people are honking for laughter and you know a huge stage the big um tv trombone or whatever you call that thing or yeah. football like just like there's so many firsts that i have with this um and i live for those experiences uh, i've traveled last year to at least six different cities to perform typically smaller rooms or events, but I still was able to go to different places. I've met different people. Um, Not necessarily like I've never met Mike Epps or anything like that, but I understand that there's value in the family of comedy and I'm a part of it. I'm just not a part of 
that particular family yet, but I, I definitely know or have worked with at least one person that's been, you know, so many degrees separation from some of the, the big name comedians. And so that just that thrill alone is yeah. exciting. And it resonates with me that one, like I feel like now and again within the past six months, I feel like I'm going to really make it. And that is such an exciting experience. So I don't know that, I, again, I think it just happened to recently where it just dawned on me like this could really be it. Um, and as I was getting paid to do comedy, you know, that was slowly turning the light on. But mm -hmm. I think I was still questioning, like, because co comedians do this for like 10, 12 years before they even potentially break. Yeah. Like you don't see somebody five years on, and now that's kind of changing because I, I got a friend of mine that just got on Re Revolt TV. He's only five years in the game, which is like, you know, that don't really happen that often. Um, so times are changing in that in that such, but I think that strategically, I come from a nine to five work environment type of lifestyle. So you know, I don't know if you have a nine to five, but you. You know, people that work nine to five, we place things safe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we know our check. It don't matter what happened. The job ain't going to be like, oh, man, you know what? We fucked around. We ain't got y'all check. They're <laughs> not about to do this. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you're nine to five. Like, it's direct deposit. It's every two weeks. It's no big deal. Like, it's going to be there. I ain't even got to check my stuff. You know, that's, that's the way it is. Comedy is not set up in that way. So I have to fight to break the cycle that was embedded in me from my parents that worked for 35 years at factory jobs and then retire. Like I have to fight against that to where I realize that there is opportunity in this and that, you know, I, I want to keep going. I don't want to quit. I want to keep going and I want to make it. Exactly. And I think that's the key. Like I ask everybody you know, for advice and they always tell me just to do it and you to sharpen your craft and get better at your craft. It'll, you know, what, what's meant for you will come. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, and I think that, you know, one thing that stands out to me, uh, if I stop, I'm never going to make it. Like, that's for sure one way to not make it. If you stop doing your thing, then that for sure is, is, a, is a guaranteed way that you won't make it. The thought of that, the thought of me killing the dream kills me. Yeah. You know, so it, me going, it'd be different if somebody was like, hey, you know what? It's, it's a total no. There's no more doors for you to even enter or look in. It's a no. For, for us completely like but for me to just stop and I love it I love doing it it's exciting like it's not there's I, I may be like man I don't feel like going to do this show that may happen every once in a while depending on my my mood and whatever else but once I get there once I get a mic in my hand I love it yeah, it's like you're at home, you know. And I feel like a lot of people underestimate the power that they actually have. Like, the world was created by words, so it makes sense that words are powerful. You know what I mean? Like, you got to speak things into existence sometimes. But you also have to put in the work, because faith without works is dead. You know, like you could be, hey, I'm gonna go to the mailbox, I'm gonna go to the mailbox, and the mailbox is right there. But until you start moving your feet, you ain't never gonna get, you ain't never gonna get that stimulus, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that you are 100% correct. Um, that that's so positive. I honestly, um, about 12 or 13 years ago, I got into a fairly big argument with my dad and uh, I called him an inappropriate word and 
that kind of deterred our relationship. Um, what, 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 what you what you call a weekend curse on here? Uh, I called him a bitch. But, well, yeah, I've I've called my dad that too. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was in the heat of an argument. I was going through things that he was unaware of, but he was checking me on something. He was drunk. I wasn't really drunk, but it just was a belligerent moment and it was just an unconscious moment for me. And it really, it really fucked up shit. So for two years, the same. And then finally, although I had previously said sorry, like it's like he didn't want to let it go. And, you know, I'm sure that hurt him because he's given me nothing but love and been there for me even while I'm originally from Omaha. And so that's where my whole family is. I live here in Houston. My mom lives here. But other than that, our whole family lives in Omaha. But my mom moved here when I was younger. So I came back here as an adult. Um, but long story short, that happened. And as a result of that, I do not argue with people. I agree to disagree. I can walk away. I can apologize. Um, and I can say sorry. But I typically am just not big on arguing. Yeah. And that's predominantly because words are very powerful. And no matter what, you can't take them back. Like, if someone hears them, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that stays, it's always going to stay with them if I, you know. So if I if I was to offend you or to say some craziness to you, like, that's always going to be a part of your, you know, a lot of, man, I'll never forget that time she said X, Y, Z to me. So I just want to be better at um, not allowing people to interfere with my truth yeah. and, and get to where I'm going to say something that's just crazy. Yeah, because I mean, it's really no, it's really a waste of time when you think about it, because at the end of the day, like, say, for instance, I find it so ridiculous. You know, I thought I got rid of all my Trump supporters when Trump got elected. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to start once a year saying attention. If you voted for Trump, get the fuck off my page because they still here. You know, like, it's ridiculous. I spent all yesterday and today explaining how uh what's the dude's name kyle explaining how the dude that went in the crowd and shot those two people were wrong and it's ridiculous yeah i can't there's no way that i can go back and forth with people like i just really have no desire no interest like it is sucks at times because i don't know if you've ever seen a post where you know, a white person say something crazy or, uh, you know, it's a black person post. And it seems like every single time it never fails. There's always like a black person that shouldn't be arguing with no damn body arguing with this person. It's like, God damn. <laughs> like we ain't got nobody, a better representation that's going to spell this shit right. Or, you know what, I'm not even going to talk about spelling, but I'm going to say that gives a better combated answer. That's the thing that be tripping me out. Like, oh, that's not the response. Right. Don't point out this. But I'm just not interested in going back and forth with anybody. Uh, I, can, I can have my petty days and petty moments. Um, and a lot of that, you know. You, you know, when you, I mean, sometimes you're not doing nothing. You're like, all right, let me educate you a little bit, you know. Like, say, for instance, um, I made a post saying that, you know, most of the school shooters and shooters have something in common. And this uh, white boy was like, so what, you racially profiling us now? And I'm like, it's not that we're racially profiling y'all. It's just that y'all say we're rapists, murderers, and killers. And we're just letting you know that, hey, you know, there's a pattern here and we not so bad. You know what I mean? Right. 
yeah, yeah. you know, no. that was like, you know, and he thanked me for it. So that was like a little time to like, you know, educate, you know, because, you know, that's important. We need, you know, we need our allies too, you know. Yeah. And the thing about it is you have to understand we all cannot be the same. So we're going to be different and there's nothing wrong with the difference that we all encompass. Now, we have to, this is where I come into play with my theory of not arguing people. Bro, you gotta accept people and in in their differences. So you can easily agree to disagree or, hey, you know, honestly, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, like you can make those gestures, but you're not about to change no fucking racist mind. Like you can... I mean, that shit got to happen on their own terms. But you're not going, there's, you know, a lot of these Trump supporters are as ignorantly stupid as he is. But then you also have some other people that are his rich friends. They're benefiting from a lot of the changes and a lot of the free money opportunities that he's given out. Um, there's a benefit to them. They're not looking overall for the poor and the middle class they looking out for themselves so uh i mean to each its own yeah and like one thing i was looking at your post you said and i love the fact that you said you do not wear masks outside like honestly I don't see the point ain't no bacteria gonna survive in this Dallas Houston heat you dumb you dumb you, you know there ain't no <laughs> virus that's strong I wear masks now let's hold up now I wear masks bro like um I do I wear them um I don't know I don't know what I don't know And I feel like there's not enough information about COVID-19 in a lot of areas. Uh, But I do understand the basics of if you were to get sick from just whatever illness, you have to come in contact with it. That's a standard. So even if it's the flu or anything of, of such you literally nothing typically things just don't grow from nowhere. So there has to be some level of, of uh interaction and they call things like a host. So it's like things can transpire based off of touch, eating, you know, and I guess in some sense it's like smelling or whatnot, or the the loss of smelling, I guess. So yeah, man, like I mean, if I have if I understand that, then I have to understand, let me stay six feet away from your ass. Let me wear a mask in the event that you do cough and it can go up to eight feet. My mask is going to protect me from that. That's the way I look at it. I really look at it as me putting a barrier on. And uh, I literally just lost some people from COVID uh, last week. Um, A friend of mine, his mom passed away on Monday of last week, COVID-19. And two days later on Wednesday, he passed away from COVID-19. Sorry to hear that. Yes, yes. So I know that COVID is real, man. Like, Not to say that I didn't believe it before, um, but it definitely makes you reevaluate the way you move and when, you know, two people you know pass in the same week. Yeah. And I, and I mean, like, should you wear your mask in public places? Absolutely, 100%. But, like, wearing your mask in your car or in your house or, like, outside, like, I don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to understand the logic of why you're wearing it. So yeah. I'm definitely not going to wear it in none of those other increments. But I, what I said the other day, and this is a joke that I made, is, like, I'm to the point to where I'm wearing this whole by myself in the car. And the only reason I said that is because... It, Bro, I have to jog back to this damn car to get the mask that I done forgot to put on. Like it's it still hasn't, it's not a muscle memory yet to put the damn mask on. 
like when I'm getting out the car, like every time, like I don't have to jump back, go back to get the, the mask out the car. Like one day I went into the store naked, naked face. And I said, what the hell am I in here doing? <laughs> it happens, man. I cannot tell you that's happened to me so many times. Yeah, it's such a it's, it's easy to do. I'll say that. Yeah, I don't know who invited Miss Rona to the group chat, but we gotta get her out of here. We gotta. But I like how like artists like you and like other artists are making do with it. Like when you said the drive-by comedy, where instead of laughing, you hop. Like that's so creative. You know? Yeah, yeah, and they encouraged it. Um, my first experience doing that. Um, I, I mean, anytime I have a first, I'm always nervous because, I mean, in my eyes, I'm only as good as my last performance. I'm always trying to outdo it. Um, and, you know, I, I want to be great. So that's a part of that process. And uh, the thing about it is, like, that was some next level stuff. The, the level of professionalism that it encompassed from, on that stage was so dope. A uh, huge stage. Um, got the trombone screen or whatever they call that, and it's just, it just was it was an amazing experience, uh, and it was you know there was a there was a lot of people there, uh, and it so they talk about this though I've seen this before where, where comics say when you do a big like a big room like that or even an auditorium or an outside room. The laugh is different because it like has to roll to the back and then roll. So like you, there's a certain level of, of cadence of timing that you have to kind of tap into. So I learned that while I was on stage, I, I had seen or read something prior to that, but I didn't really put more effort into like really researching it. Um, and yeah, I, I seen where you know. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you this. How do you deal with hecklers if you've had one? Yeah, so I've never had one that I needed to get kicked out. I've had some from the standpoint of me throwing shows and, you know, having my own shows where I've walked up to them while I'm not on stage and just been like, hey, I really need you to chill out or I got to ask you to leave. That's yeah. something I feel like that should always be up to like the person running the show or security. Uh, it should never really just have to be in the hands of the comedian. Uh, but that's something that I'm learning now. Um, yeah. it's, it's just important. Like, I, I mean, I've had to deal with, with some, but I personally... My thing is not to always make the butt of the joke, but make them feel like, oh, shit, let me... Sometimes if you feed them too much, they feel like they're taking, you know, they want to be a part of it then. Yeah. So, there's just so many different strategic ways to kind of eliminate a lot of that. But if you have ownership of that stage, that would eliminate the possibilities of so many of them, you know, coming to you with, with such requests. Yeah. And uh it's funny because uh you you know Monique, right? Yeah. Have you seen the uh video of her getting heckled by the uh child with autism? Um, I don't think I've seen that. Yeah, it, it was beautiful how she uh handled it you know the child you know it had autism I guess the mom couldn't find a babysitter or something and you know she was screaming and you know cutting up and the mom was you know trying to get her to be quiet and Monique literally stopped the whole show and she said uh-uh mama let that baby sing that baby just having fun you know and she was like matter of fact we need to make this baby feel at home because I would rather have, you know, a lively crowd, you know, a, uh, you know, than a soft one. So matter of fact, I want this whole room on the count of three to go, uh, 
to let her know that we with her. One, two, three, and then the whole place, you know, moaned. And then, you know, she was quiet the whole night. But the girl's face, like, just lit up. Like, she was so happy. I was like, now that's when you know you're a veteran. Because me, I wouldn't know what to do in that situation. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, she, I look up to Monique. Uh, Monique is one of my favorites. Uh, she's definitely within my top 10. Uh, it's like I said, some somebody that I looked up to. Um, I have, I encompass a, a certain, she's always really been good at crowd work anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that uh, it's her rawness that makes it so much better. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I I look forward to to more of those opportunities in a sense. Like I don't I don't so the cool thing is, is that I started off doing a lot of black rooms and mm-hmm. that even to say like with um open mics. Now there's a big difference between open mics with a black room and a white room. Uh white people open mics, they still want you to be quiet, right? Another thing is, and I, I got to get you, um, they want you to be quiet while you're there, so they don't want interruptions. They don't want hecklers on open mics. And so white people get so offended if you talk during their set. Um, but, and, and I, I've seen this multiple times when they they lose their train of thought, what they were going to say because they're in the middle of something else and something happened or interrupted them and they forgot where they were at. You spend all that time writing these jokes and then all that time writing out a, an, a joke order and then it's kapoops. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, I like the, um, the flexibility of, of doing both, but I think that I try typically not to make them the complete like butt, butt of the joke, but you know, I, I try to get them in a good way. And then, then you know what? There's some people that don't need no fucking with. Yeah. And so that's that's another skill set to have to know because I naturally love to have fun and joke and stuff with people. But I'm- I just love the you know, I just love the whole set. Like my favorite part where you be like, men be lying and they be lying about the stupidest stuff. And I'm like, we do. I lied this morning. You know what I mean? So where does your inspiration come from? So you know, people ask me this question. And I always ask, do you mean inspiration for jokes or just to inspiration to do this? Both. So I think inspiration for jokes, it really just comes from self. These are situations that have happened mm-hmm. to me. These are my thoughts. This is how I feel. Like So that's just from me in general. And then inspiration to do it, I really am starting to believe that this is my passion, that this is what, this is my gift. Like I'm starting to own it. And within the past year, I'm starting to realize like this is, I really could be you know, this is really what I'm supposed to be doing. So to to what magnitude, I'm still not 100% sure because there's so many different levels of comedy other than just comedy. So right now I'm interested in being able to be on other platforms other than just the stage of stand-up. Mm-hmm. Now I know most, uh, you know, comedy is like a wide range and uh, I know some comedians are great at stand-up, but they're not great at, like, comedy movies. And some comedians are good at comedy movies, but they're not good at stand-up, you know. So which one do you feel like you're best at? Or can you do all the above? So I've done some um, acting. um in different things. So I, I have done uh, an, an, a plethora of, of some of those items, right? Uh, I do feel mm-hmm. like I, I did a play in February and 
I feel like that stretched me a little bit because my character was an older lady um, that sold cakes. She was supposed to be kind of old and see now that sold cakes. And I realized that I had never really done something outside of just be me. So I realized that there's so much more to the art form or to that art form than I was necessarily prepared for. Well, what I did is I created a different character, something that I was more comfortable with doing. And the crazy mm -hmm. part about it is they were like telling me how well I did. And they were, you know, congratulating me on finding the person because I created this person. It, it's not how he wrote it, but I wrote it in, in a sense on my own or I kind of flipped and changed it. But yeah, and like, and like that's how you know you're a, a, a true comedian because that's what most comedians do. Like, look at Eddie Murphy, Jennifer Lewis, um, you, you know, um, the guy that played uh, Pops, I forget his name, um, but pretty much that's what they all did. Like, they would hand them these scripts and they would be like, okay, I'm gonna add my own flavor to it, or they would flat out tell them, hey this isn't funny you should say this and they would do it so i find that interesting that you know you were able to take a character and you know flip it and make it your own like that you know yeah yeah it definitely um it definitely it was it was a good it was a good completion but i didn't i felt like i did not um tackle it um the way it was supposed to be done. That's the way I that's just the way I felt, mm. right? Well, the audience and you know my peers that were in it confirmed it for me. So and I say this to say this, or I say that to say this. Some of these things that come natural to me are viewed as being higher. Like they they look at it like they're giving me props at this character that I created, but it was so natural for me to do that. This is something I do on stage. So a lot of times I don't really realize how like what I'm doing is so much bigger than what it is because this is I'm just being mm -hmm. nice. Now, who are your some of your influences in the comedic yeah, world? Yeah, this is where I fell asleep the last time. Yeah, <laughs> I was not. I woke up. I was like, you were you you, you, you were out here snoring. <laughs> you woke up ask, answering questions. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Um, so you know what I do remember I said is uh one of my favorites from the time was uh Richard Pryor. So I mm -hmm. thought acting wise and comedic wise, he was he was ingenious. He was hilarious. He was raw. Uh, he was unapologetic. He was saying jokes in environments that he wasn't even supposed to be in. In a sense, I admire him for for that alone. Um, and then, female wise, somebody that I really truly admired and looked up to way before I thought I could ever do comedy was Monique. I always like her rawness. I used to love hearing her use her profanity when I was younger, like all of that, her boldness. And mm -hmm. what I remember about Monique is that she was amongst all these guys holding her own weight and like punching with the best of them in a sense. Uh, the person yeah. now that I'm in comedy though, people that I admire more is like some more Wanda Sites. Like these are like natural, like, like they actually they like Wanda Sykes to say some shit, some real shit, oh, yeah. you know. And then some more. She's just like she's so fucking relatable. Yeah, she's just like one of the homegirls, yeah. you know. Yeah. Now, what are your top three favorite comedies? I don't think that I really have any. Like, I love, you know, I love, I, I'm not really a favorite person because, um, I don't know, like, I'm not really an addictive 
I've, I mean, I've been addicted to some things, but I don't have a super addictive personality to where I got to go back to it again. So mm-hmm. I don't mind watching reruns or the same thing, but it's not like I have to. But I do, I do prefer comedy movies and sitcoms over anything yeah. else. I'm not into sci-fi and that sort of thing. I noticed that I always am looking for a good comedy. And I think that the type of comedy I prefer is like even dry humor, subtle humor. I prefer that over like the um like some of the like the scary movie or something like white yeah. cheese. Yeah. I mean white cheese was cool, but I was gonna say something like like the Wayne's them, like sometimes they push that envelope like I I can't, I'm not gonna say that I would not watch it, but those are typically not my type of funnies. Yeah. So, what movies would you watch that have that dry humor? Maybe something like uh, Girls, or you know, something. So like, you know, um, like even 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 white movies like uh, Baby Mama. Yeah. Uh, that that movie was stupid. Like, or there's a movie like The Bridesmaids, dumb, where they was going on a trip. Like, um, and Bridesmaids was similar to the movie. Um, is it Girl Trip? Yeah, yeah, Girl's it was trip. similar to Girls Trip, but I feel like they played on sentiment and that sort of thing. You know, it it definitely had some funny parts to it. Um, but it was it was not as subtly funny. Yeah, like they 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 hyped the funny. They made it. Yeah. Yeah. So do you do you like like silly funny or like silly shows something like that that you're like okay this is stupid but I like it anyways. I could watch some of it. Those are not my. I gotta watch, you know. But I, I mean, I can. Yeah. Um, it just needs to be real and entertaining. I think I don't like super scripted stuff. Yeah, cause like I feel like that's how Adam Sandler is sometimes. Like sometimes with his movies and his friends, they could be kind of silly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but one thing yeah. I can say that's different from Adam Sandler and the Waynes brothers is that Adam Sandler is going to give you an actual storyline and it's going to be consistent. So I don't know if that's just a matter of him having more money to put into things and more resources, but I feel like uh, some of the, the Wayne stuff is like unrealistic. It's like, what? They yeah. push the envelope. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. But like, see, the thing that I appreciate about Will Ferrell over Adam Sandler is with Adam Sandler, everything's going to be a joke. Like there's going to be a punchline to everything. If you are looking at his movies and there's a sentimental moment, he about to have a joke in there somewhere. So just keep watching. But Will Ferrell, like he'll have these uh, like take his new movie on Netflix, Eurovision. It's funny, but he does have these sentimental moments that actually, you know, gets real, and he lets them be their own moment. And he'll wait until another scene to take a joke. That's what I appreciate about him. It's not just punchline after punchline after punchline. You right. Know? You know. And I guess it depends on what mood you have to be in. Because sometimes I'll be watching a movie and I'm like, oh, this is some silly shit. You know, and, and then I'll watch it watch it again and I'll be like, oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't notice that. Like, have you seen this movie called The uh, Wrong Missy? Yeah, the, say it again. The Wrong Missy? Yeah, I seen that. I thought it was a cool movie. Yeah, you know, it was it was silly, but you know, I enjoyed it. You know, it was something fun about it. You know, yeah, because it was kind of it was kind of cliche, but at the same time, fresh. You know, it it kind of still had a realistic vibe to it, although, like it it still was slightly, I don't know. Like I just feel like it's a difference, and maybe it's because they all fit the part. 
Uh, yeah. I think sometimes in black movies we got a cast and um, maybe sometimes they're not casted correctly or sometimes we throw, we always seem to throw other races in our movies um, to make it look more normal, I guess, where white people are not even trying to put us in their movies. I don't know why yeah, I that part. speak on it, but I feel like the cast went well with that movie. I feel like they were well casted in a sense. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Eurovision? No, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's a really, it's one of those like happy go lucky movies. Like, I cannot watch a movie in a bad mood. Like, it'll always put you in a good mood. And it's funny too. I highly recommend that one. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like, say for instance, movies like Soul Plane. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like Soul Plane had the potential to be a good movie and I mean I enjoyed it but I felt like some of the jokes were just lazy yeah and I think that I think you it goes to you know there was a lot of funny parts in that movie but I think that they just laid it on very heavy Mm -hmm. but still concept wise I thought it was dope they got a whole area where motherfuckers is hanging on to like us. Like that's fucking genius. Take a chicken and pass it back. Genius. You know, so they had so many different spots that were just so dope. You know? Yeah, I just think stereotype humor is a tricky humor because it's literally the the easy, like it's so easy until you can get lazy with it because it's right there for you. You know what I mean? Like the uh, the white people, uh, their last name was uh, Hunky. You know, like it's right there. So it's so easy that, you know, you forget to put in the effort to it. You know what I mean? Like I would have loved when the uh, Indian guy got on the plane. Like I would have loved for them to, you know, explore that more, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, yeah, but and Godfrey's character, he just took that to a whole nother level, man. Godfrey is like one of the funniest cats. And I never really include him in my thing. I don't know why, but Godfrey is hilarious. Uh he's super original. Uh he's super smart. He's so multi talented. And uh Honestly, you know, and not to compare anybody to anyone, uh, Kevin Hart is is definitely funny. Kevin Hart has a team of individuals that contribute to his funny. Yeah. Um, But Kevin Hart is the first person to make this a business. For him to make it a, you know, a production He's a comedian. He's supposed to be he's supposed to be a comedian. So it's ingenious of him to take it to this whole nother level, this evaluated level. And he made himself the celebrity star, star stardom that he is. But it was with the help of the team. And he hasn't really shied away from that thought theory. Uh, but somebody like uh, Godfrey, honestly. Godfrey would be a hilarious Kevin Hart. Yeah. Um, you know, given the opportunity. Um, because he's so he's he's talented. He's he's hilarious. I'll never yeah. I've seen I've seen him five, six years ago, and I still hear him saying one joke that was that I could never forget, and it was hilarious. Yeah. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, I hear the voice. Like he pretty much said, you know, women. Oh, it don't matter, you know. And so it's like, and he just made this. It's freezing in here. It's cold. It's so it's freezing, and he he called it back like six times, and he you know he talked about it. It just was so funny how he did it in the voice and the tone, and I could still hear it six years later. Yeah still hear him saying that joke or that piece of that joke. That's skill. Well, motherfucker, still hear the shit six years later. 
And that was it wasn't a TV. I was there live. Yeah, like that. He's super like do you look at him on uh Vlad TV? Yeah, I've seen him. Yeah, like I love his social commentary. He has me like rolling. Yeah, he's hilarious. Yeah. So what was what would you consider would be your greatest moment on stage? Um You know, I feel like that that kind of changes. I feel like I can always get better. Um, mm-hmm. I had a show two years ago back home that I that I produced, and um, it had almost four hundred people there. Um, that was a great feeling from a producer standpoint. But from the standpoint of like me being a comedian, I had so much going on for the show that I don't think I really executed my stage time like I would have liked to. Um, mm-hmm. Now the the dope is I just had a show that was a a drive through show, and that was probably the biggest stage I've been on. Yeah, I think that was probably the biggest stage. It didn't have as many people as my show had. It had at least 200 people, but I was on mm-hmm. the, uh, the the huge screen that they use at the football games. It, yeah. Dope the the, uh, the, the uh, Titan Tron. Yeah, the Titan Tron. I was on that. They could hear me from their car, inside their car. Like Overall, that experience was magnificent. That was a um, really dope experience to be able to 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 have had um i don't know i love to go back and look at uh footage so i record a lot of my sets and i like to go back and either listen or view the footage of whatever i did and that honestly i, I don't know it's like an like i love it i love to hear how i did so sometimes on stage i don't realize how big a moment was until I view it. Yeah. And one thing I say about Miss Rona, she's definitely opened us up to like new experiences that we would have never had. Cause like as creative people, we gonna find ways to keep ourselves entertained and to entertain others. Like how creative is that instead of a comedy show when you laugh, you you know, you're outside social distancing in your car and you just hop. You know, like that's creative as hell. Yeah, it definitely was a different type of experience. And honestly, you know, I get really excited for my first experiences. That was one of my first and um it was it was very much so a different experience. Um and I was nervous because it was the first time. I didn't know how, you know, comedy, you got to be, you know, you, you need people to feedback. You need feedback, instant feedback in order for things to really work. Well, I got it, you know, but I didn't know how mm-hmm. to get it until I got into it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what would you say would be your most embarrassing moment on stage? Man, I'll never forget the first time I got to perform at uh, Houston Improv. Mm-hmm. And uh, I bombed. That's the comedic term when you don't do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like there was like 17 seconds when I didn't say anything. It was terrible. I felt like crap afterwards. Um, I was sick that day. And I think I was sick because I was nervous. Yeah. It was my first time performing at the improv. And um I didn't really care about the people that was there. It just was the nervousness come from me from within. And yeah, yeah, I um I legit or literally um I got up there and didn't know what I was gonna talk about. <laughs> yeah. Like, but and I'm like 
But I mean, I'm glad that didn't stop you because it happens to literally everybody. Like all the greats, everyone has had that moment. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I you know, it could have very well stopped me, honestly. Uh, like had I thought about it more, uh, mm-hmm. because I, I was hurt. <laughs> yeah. uh, that shit wasn't cool. Like I felt bad. Um, afterwards um, so it really anytime I do bad and not to say that that's the only time I've done bad there have been other performances that I wasn't really proud of you know I know that the crowd probably received it but I knew it wasn't my best and in, in such but um, you know you gotta keep going but every anytime I don't do well it's depressing for me you know I take it you know I take it to heart I wear my feelings on my sleeve uh, mm-hmm. But you know, in, in growing, or a part of growing, uh, I have to understand that um, that this ain't it. You know what I mean? Like, um, you you know, it, I I I don't even like to hear the ones where I did bad. Like, I love to block that moment out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like. Yeah, you know, like I said, it happens to it's happened to me before. So it definitely it definitely happens to the uh, to the best of us. You know, now I'm kind of more quick on my feet. So if I'm, you know, in a show and I just forget my lines, I just make up my own, you know, like that ain't gonna never happen to us again, you know, because we've been doing it for a little bit longer. But yeah, when you just start out like that's like your biggest fear when you open your mouth and nothing comes out or when you miss a cue, you know, or when a joke doesn't hit, you know. So, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And I see we got some friends in comments. You know uh, uh, Jasmine Elis? Yeah, she's a comedian. Yeah, I've had her on the show. Uh uh Amber Skies, you know, she's definitely my girl. Um Benjamin da- how do you feel about Benjamin Daniel? Because he has a certain type of humor. Yeah, um honestly, you know, comedy is uh what do they call it? It's uh everybody got their own style of comedy. Like could you imagine if we all did the same thing? Yeah. He's committed to his type of comedy. And what I admire about him is that he writes his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I respect. Yeah. And I asked him because, you know, he does dark comedy. And I said, so uh, do I asked him in the interview, I said, do you have anything that's off the table or that you wouldn't touch? And he said, it's not. He said, as a dark comedian, it's not the fact that we have things that we don't touch, but it's the fact that there's some things that I don't consider funny. Like, he was like, I'm not going to make any jokes about Black Lives Matter or, you know, the shooting of Trayvon Martin, because I don't think that shit's funny. However, you know, I'll say something like, if Megan Thee Stallion got shot in the leg, most horses get shot in the leg. You know, that's funny to me. So I'll go there. But I'm you know, so he said he he holds himself back on what he considers hilarious. Like he said, if he something is funny, he's gonna say it. But if he doesn't, he's not gonna say it. And I found that interesting. Well, I think that that is again, that's something that is admirable because the thing of it is is more than likely, the people that like his style of comedy may not like mine, mm-hmm. and the people that like style of comedy may not like his. So that's the part that we have to understand. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it it can be like again. I've heard some of his jokes. Uh, I did a show with him uh, in July, mm-hmm. and he did very well. Um, I, I he did well enough for me to call him and congratulate him on doing so well because I've seen him at a lot of open mics I've seen him do little stuff here and there but the crowd really because and it's really his consistency with his writing 
So I think, again, if you when you write jokes, if you're writing them for yourself, that's admirable. You know, whether or not I feel the same way, you know, that's my that's my prerogative versus theirs. Mm -hmm. But he told you is such a good trait to have because you got some people. And this is something that I say to other comics that are starting off. Be real to yourself. Don't say what you think people want to hear. What you know what I mean? Tell tell your shit. If that's yeah. what you think, if that's what you want to talk about, obviously you have to learn your audience. That's truly important, right? Like, I, and I'm not saying don't do that, but what I'm saying is, if you truly feel like what R. Kelly did is nothing wrong with it, that's your truth. Yeah, it might be some people out there that agree with you. Don't make a joke to be making it. And it not even be you. Be true to yourself. Yeah, because people I'm don't not, know. I'm not saying say everything, any controversial thing, but if it's something that you truly believe and you think it's funny, there might be somebody out there, but you do got to learn the audience. And until you, you don't get that opportunity until you really pop to where people know, oh man, I love his style of comedy. But I do think that there are some people out there that do like it. His style is definitely different from my style. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's his style. And one thing I say, like I said, I admire the fact that he writes. He's not just up there saying whatever. Like, he actually consciously writes his jokes. Yeah. I appreciate that as well. Now, I gotta ask with the whole situation with, you know, Bill Cosby, you know, how did that make you feel like when you found out that he was guilty? I got a joke about that. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I didn't want to believe it at first. Uh, but when they got to so many people, it was like, damn, like this shit is true. You can't get all these people to lie and say this and it not be true. So I think it's an unfortunate situation. Um, you know, I wasn't there in any cases, so I have no knowledge on whether or not what the people said really happened. Like, I don't, I don't know. Did they, did they really not know? Um, did he tell them in advance? Like, those are the questions that I kind of potentially would be interested in knowing the answers to. But, I mean, uh, rape is rape, and if you made them hoes go to sleep before you did it, you still raped them, like. Yeah. And, like, say for instance, it was really, like, a sad thing, because here's somebody that was a pillar in our community, you know, who was everybody's favorite grandfather, like, the Huxtables, pioneer like if it wasn't for the Cosby show there would be no in living single or um you know there would be no mark like he pretty much spearheaded the black success because think about it before the Cosby's every black family on TV was struggling good times struggling um you had uh George uh Fred Safford struggling and you know he was the first person to bring us out of that and be like hey we can be doctors and teachers and lawyers you know so you know I was one of the people that fought for it I said nah he didn't do it they were just trying to you know these white people were just trying to keep us down and you know I defended him and then when he got on the stand and actually admitted to it like it was like time stood still like everything you've worked for has just gone to waste. Right. Yeah. You know, it was definitely a very um, disappointing time. And, you know, it's the same thing like with R. Kelly, the king of R&B. You know, nobody wanted to believe it. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I think the R. Kelly situation was, was very much so different. Mm -hmm. Uh We've been knowing this man was 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 filthy for a long time. Bill Cosby was able to keep his thing under the wraps, um, but 
um, R. Kelly has been known. Now, the first time when he got off, I don't think that we really like, we knew, we all knew he was nasty, but nobody canceled R. Kelly. We were still stepping in the name of love. Yeah, because his music was so good until we just kind of forgot or like looked the other way. Well, now, now, ain't no, now it's like, if you listen to R. Kelly, I'm judging. Right. And they need to get those parents, too, that was allowing it to go on. Yeah. Like, don't just stop there. Get everybody. So, um, what other advice would you want to give a comic that's, you know, fresh in the game, trying to get their feet wet? What other advice would you give them? Um, I say you you don't you can't get any better if you don't go on stage. Um, you have to you know people can sit there and write and write, and I think that writing is dope. I wish that I would have maybe potentially learned that sooner. Uh, now I'm kind of backtracking it and learning to 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 write, and I think that that kind of is affecting my comedy or has affected it. But now it's starting to level out in, in a good way. But I say that you can write the things, but you do need to go up and perform because it's important to know what works and what doesn't work. Before you get to writing 30 jokes, you know, write 10 and perform them. Uh, here, record yourself. Record audio, video, whatever you can do to record, and then go back and watch it. And let the, the laughs tell you what to keep and what to take away or what to remove. And I think that the next thing is to um, trim the fat. When you're telling a story or when you're telling a joke, all the things that are irrelevant to the punchline, to the actual like b top of the joke, butt of the joke, if you don't connect to that, then take it out. Yeah. And I also admire you that you go back and study yourself because they say your greatest competition is you. So I like how you go back because there's some people for some reason that I never got this. Some people when they act or when they do comedy, they will not look at themselves. Like they don't want to look at them. What what do you think that is? Um I think it's cockiness. I don't, you know, honestly, I don't even want to say that. That's premature of me. I can't really speak on other people. I can only speak on myself. And I, I, you, I'm only in competition with myself. I'm not the funniest person in Texas, not the funniest female in Texas or even in Houston. But I want to be great. If you write something down for MC Lotto, I want to be great. And a part of me wanting to be great is that I have to be greater than I was the last time. So how... How do I know how good I was the last time if I didn't watch it? Mm -hmm. You know, like it's it's all in learning. I like I'm not done. There's still so much I couldn't go heads and heads with some more. She would eat me alive, you know. Yeah. But I want to be able to. That's a goal. So you, I mean, the only way to do this is keep getting better. Yep, keep doing it. Never stop. Yeah. Hey, we gotta wrap this up. I definitely have devoted more than an hour of my time to you, and uh, I appreciate you for even reaching out to me to consider to um to do the interview with me. I'm very appreciative of it. Um, but today is Sunday, and this is the day that I have to get certain things done. Yeah, and I appreciate you giving me your time, man. It means a lot. You're really, really funny. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate you having me, Jonathan. And you pronounce your last name Doku? Doku. It's like Goku with the D. Doku. Okay, because I was all right. <laughs> yeah, I've been called, you know, I've been called everything. Doku. My old Dookie, yeah. Dookie, Dookie. Yeah. Do we have a Dookie here? And I'll just be like, voice stop. Hey. Knock it off. But anyway, well, have a great way, Sunday. And yes, absolutely. Yeah. Same.
Yeah. Hey, and everybody can follow me on all social media platforms at mc.lotto. So if you don't know, and I don't think I mentioned it, my slogan is I just want to win. Now, that doesn't mean just me, but I would love to see everybody around me win. That means that I support other people, um, not just people that support me, but just in general, good people I support. And it's not always about the monetary. It can just be as simply as sharing, uh, reposting, commenting. All of those things are a form of the whole slogan, I just want to win. And it's not just about me, but it's about everybody around me being able to win as well. So that's all I got to say. I feel that. Have a nice rest of your day. Yeah.